Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. You know, uh, you're brave people when you laugh at a man who's holding a gun in church. Just saying. Never worn a coyote hat in church before. Never realized how warm it was. Y'all ought to get you one. (laughs) Question for you this morning as we get started. Have you ever wanted and asked for a direct and unmistakable message from God? Because I have. Whenever I face my life's biggest decisions, I usually ask him for some kind of a message that I can understand. And what I'm really hoping for is something like an audible voice or a letter or a sign in the sky. Something certain that leaves me with absolutely no questions as to what uh, the Lord is trying to say. And I have had some experiences in my life by which I have determined the will of God for my decisions, but honestly, those typically have come after long periods of deliberation and, and prayer, of talking with Laura, of consulting with friends whose wisdom I trust. And most of the time, I've had to work my way toward an answer. And over weeks or or months, I've gained some sort of dawning realization of the direction that God wants me to go. From this point, looking back, honestly, i got to tell you, that's good enough. Having to work at it and, and sweat and wait and pray and listen and listen and listen when I finally get to something that seems like an answer... Well, it's good enough. It's got me to the place where I am today, standing before you as your pastor, because I've eventually, over the course of my life, received enough guidance to help me make my life's big decisions, including the ones that brought me here. I think that it's turned out pretty good. And still, whenever I face my life's next big decision, I would sure appreciate it if God would just make it easier. Can I get an amen? Mm-hmm. Maybe, uh, maybe what God could do is he could have Billy Graham give me a call and say, Cliff, when I was praying this morning, God told me to tell you that he wants you to make Bill Bull your youth pastor. And Strange as uh, that might sound, I think I'd go ahead and do it because he sent me the convincing messenger, uh, Billy Graham, right? But can I be honest with you this morning and tell you that um, when this guy on the big screen behind me walked into the mystic this week, dressed not unlike I am this morning, what popped into my head was not, hey, I wonder if he's got a message from God. He had a message. He talked to the little girl there at the counter for a very, very, very long time about fluoride in our water. And I know that it was not a good thing, but when I looked at him, I made a quick assessment based on what I saw and based on all the questions that I could hear him asking of the wait staff. And I decided that he probably didn't have a message from God. I decided he was probably mentally ill and therefore not a reliable messenger for the likes of me. He was dressed kind of like one of the characters in the video that we watched. And 
When I was just a boy, I first read about Sylvan Hart in a book that my grandfather gave me called The Last of the Mountain Man. Buckskin Bill, as a lot of people in Idaho knew him. And by the time I was done reading the book, I wanted to be Buckskin Bill. I wanted to live in the wilderness. I wanted to make all of my own wares. I wanted to hunt and fish and garden for my food before I found out I wasn't good enough to live like that. And I kind of liked the notion of not being bothered a lot by the outside world. Sounded like a pretty good time to a 12-year-old kid. Buckskin would just go back there and do all the things that I thought I loved. And then once or sometimes twice a year, he'd come out for provisions and then head right back into the river of no return wilderness and live like he wanted to. I think one of the reasons that I connected with Buckskin Bill, with Sylvan Hart, is because I have uh, been taught the scriptures since I was a little bitty kid, and the Bible features a number of Sylvan Hart-like characters throughout its pages. And the last one to make his appearance on the biblical stage was a man named John. He was a cousin of Jesus and later became known as the Baptist. And while there certainly is a, a miracle story surrounding his conception and his birth, from that point forward in the telling of John's story, John's growing up years were probably pretty normal-ish. His father was an Israeli Jewish priest, which meant that John had probably grown up in relative financial comfort. His circumstances weren't uh, the most challenging among his people, and it means that he probably moved in pretty sophisticated circles because the priests were educated. They weren't seen as, you know, your average Joe. They were highly educated in their national religion and helped to shape their culture. But for some reason, And at some time, both unknown to us, John one day left civilization, headed out into the wilderness, and just decided that he was going to live like Buckskin Bill, complete with all the regalia. He dressed like people hundreds of years before him. You know how this goes. Whenever uh, one of your loved ones moves out of town, everybody has an opinion about it. But when one of your relatives leaves to go live as a hermit in the mountains, everybody starts to talk about how crazy they are. And it made a commotion in his family, but not nearly the commotion that it made when John came out of the wilderness and showed up back at the edge of town. Because when he came back from the wilderness, he claimed that not only had he had a good time out there and was able to live however he wanted, but he also claimed that he had received a message from God and a message that wasn't just for him, but for his entire nation, and he was supposed to share it with everybody. So he dressed up like an ancient prophet or wild man and claimed to be one too, claimed that he had that authority from God. And that brings us back to the idea of wanting a message from God. When I look back over my life and the times that I have wanted God to speak to me, I've said, God, whatever it is you have to say, just just say it out loud. I realize that I have always made an assumption that probably every other human being makes when they want a message from God. I was assuming that he was coming with a message I wanted to hear. I think it's safe to say that anyone who wants a direct message from God has made one giant assumption that the message will be positive and good. Everyone wants good news from God. That's true now. It was certainly true then. 
Everyone assumed that it would be good news when God sent a prophet, so they came pouring out of their cities and towns to the area where John had reappeared, and they were anxiously waiting for his big announcement that was good news for the whole country. You remember what we learned last week? The Bible's New Testament contains a book titled The Gospel According to Luke, and and in its introduction, Luke said that the purpose for him writing his version of the Jesus story was so that people could be certain of the things that they'd already come to believe about Jesus. Certain of the things they've already come to believe. He was writing to help us convert our faith from an I guess so or I hope so kind of thing into something that is firm and which we can be confident of as we share it with others. And that's why he introduces the text that we're going to read today, which begins in chapter 3 verse 1, this way. Why don't you stand with me, please, in honor of the reading of his word. Father, would you uh, turn the temperature down in here? It's crazy hot wearing this stuff. (laughs) And would you turn the lights on in our hearts? If this really is a message from you, we need to get it. We, We want to get it, Lord, so... Help us, please. Luke chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Iturea and Trachonitis. Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. Any questions about how specific a time frame Luke wanted us to understand? He says, at this time, when all these guys were ruling, where where their political careers overlapped, at this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show they had repented of their sins, And turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John. Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet, lived centuries before. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled, and the mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened out, and the rough places made smooth. And then... All people will see the salvation sent from God. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee from God's coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, we're we're Jews, we're descendants of Abraham. It means nothing. I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. The crowds ask, what should we do? John replied, well, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. 
Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, Teacher, what should we do? He replied, Collect no more taxes than the government requires. Can I get an amen? Ooh. Well, what should we do? Asked some soldiers. John John replied, Don't extort money or, or make false accusations. And be content with your pay. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water. Someone's coming soon who's greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork, and he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. John used many such warnings as he announced the good news to the people. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. But at the end of his account here, Luke tells us why all the people had come to hear John's supposed message from God, and it's because they knew that God had long ago promised to their nation a a grand fixer, the, the guy that we learned a little bit about last week, and they thought that John was either going to announce that he was the guy or he was going to point the guy out. You can assume the big drum roll leading up to the announcement. But John, instead of saying, here's the Messiah, instead said, everybody listening? You've got to stop sinning. Not here's your rescuer, but knock it off. This is a short sermon, really. He said, stop sinning. Your your hearts and your feet are pointed straight away from God, and you need to turn around at both levels, feet and heart. And when you've truly done that, yes, there's a ceremonial way to to, to, to demonstrate that. It's called baptism. You need a spiritual bath, but you need one on the inside first before you take the one on the outside. Now, I have always been taught my entire life that you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar, but John apparently wasn't listening that well that day in preaching class, so he heard something more like, you should eat honey and grasshoppers, and so he did that for a little while, and then he preached like a guy who was really angry and whose spiritual gift was making accusations. But uh, contrary to what my preaching professors would expect, um, it worked, (laughs) Because the people who had just been verbally slapped around by this crazy wild man in a weird costume started making their way down to the river's edge and asking John to baptize them. I mean, he said, get baptized, and they came down. It looks like a success, right? But when they got to the river's edge, he started yelling at them again, who told you to flee from God's wrath? You did, John. Remember the sermon two seconds ago when you said, Repent, be baptized. Is this a trick question, John? And to that, John replied, I didn't tell you just to get baptized. I said, get a change of heart and get a change of behavior and and then get baptized as a way of showing why you've been able to change. You can't just skip the change and go for all of the religion and don't tell me that you've already done the first part because God wouldn't have sent me to tell you to change your hearts if your hearts didn't need to be changed. And don't tell me that you're already religious enough, but you just want to 
add baptism on top of all of your other goodness. Because all of your religion doesn't make any difference in how you treat people. God said he's really ready to do something about that. One way or the other. So let me get this straight. Invite people to be baptized. Then when they come, refuse to do it and accuse them of being insincere. Said no preaching professor ever. But they would be wrong because that's what John did that day. And it actually worked for the guy. People started looking at their lives and they started asking John to look at their lives and tell them what they needed to change. To to people who were openly sinful, you know, lying, cheating, stealing, taking advantage of others. He said, you know better than that. You know you need to stop it and be content. And to the people who uh, weren't visibly bad, basic good folks, he said, you haven't been doing horrible things, but neither have you been lifting a finger to help poor people. So do some of that. So the people backed up a step or two, and then they, they changed the subject on John. They said, so tell us, are you the grand fixer or not? John, however, wasn't done talking about baptism, and he wasn't done talking about real change, so he answered their political question in a roundabout way. He said, you really want to be baptized? Really? Get real, and then I'll baptize you with water. But if you think that's where this whole thing ends, you are wrong. There is somebody who is coming after me. He's far greater than I am, and his baptism goes clear to the bone, and it is going to burn you clean inside and out. Instead of water, he baptizes with God's Holy Spirit, who will light your hearts on fire and burn them clean. But if you don't let him cleanse your heart, he'll eventually cleanse the earth of you forever. And Luke wraps up his telling of this story by saying, and that's how John the Baptist told the people the good news. Does that sound like good news to anybody? You ever wanted a direct and unmistakable message from God? I have. Mostly, though, I just want him to say nice things to me, comforting things, pat me on the back, Tell me that he loves me. Whisper about all the good things he's got in store for me. You know, all the same things you want him to say to you. Good news. I've invited a small handful of people into my life, into my my tightest circle of friendships, and have given them permission to speak the unvarnished truth to me when they see me in the wrong. Because I've learned something. Truth really is good news. It's not always fun news, but it's good news. Like every single one of you, I can't live with my life that wide open to every human being on the planet, but I can take it from people whose friendship I trust. I open myself up to them a a bit more. And I open myself up a bit more than most people do just because of the job that I have. But the truth is that I can't, I can't be any more transparent than any of you. And I can't bear those words of truth any greater than you can. So I need them from the folks that I trust. 
I don't enjoy any of it, neither do you, but every one of us knows that we need it. We need the truth and the truth tellers in our circle of friends. We all know that our hearts aren't perfect. We all know that our actions aren't perfect. And while we recognize some of those imperfections, we also have some big glaring blind spots. If we're ever going to grow and change where we need to, if we're ever going to grow and change where we haven't done much of that yet, then we need trusted friends to whom we will listen and who we invite to tell us the truth. I really hope that you've invited some people into your life to uh, work like that in your life. I hope you have the courage and humility to invite them in. I hope you have some friends with some backbone so they will say things other than just nice, sweet things. And I hope that you have the integrity to listen and to change whenever they take that big relationship risk with you. And I hope you have the maturity to continue to love them afterwards. You have some friends like that? Do you have some friends like that? The, the kind who, you know, hate to say those things, but they'll do it because they love you? Do you have the kind of friends who uh, don't leave you guessing? You won't have to confuse whether they're angry or kind. It won't look like they're being mean, so when they come to you with that message, you don't avoid them or try to justify yourself. If we'll let people do that, why don't we let God do that? If we'll let people get in that close, why is it that all of us have a tendency to keep God right about out here, where he can say the good things and the nice things and the sweet things? Why won't we let God come close enough to us with messages that aren't so pleasant? Why do we justify ourselves? Why do we defend ourselves whenever he speaks to our hearts about our sin? God does come with messages of love. He does come with messages of assurance. He does come with messages of comfort because he's a true and loving friend. He has good things to say to us. But it also means that from time to time, he is going to say things we don't want to hear but know to be true. Don't dodge him then. It may not be pretty news, but it's good news. He did it long ago through a crazy-looking mountain, man. He does it today through his Holy Spirit, not through another crazy-looking mountain man. Let me ask you something. If you knew that God had a message of comfort and peace to tell you today, would you stop and take the time to listen? If you knew he had a message for you and you knew that it was a comforting and peace-filled message, would you stop whatever you're doing and take the time to listen to him? Because he might. God might actually have something along those lines to say to you today. But what if he needed to say something blunt and corrective? Would you listen? Because he might. He might need to say some of those things to us today. The truth is, I don't have any idea what God has to say to you or to me today. If we're the hypocritical religionists that the unbelieving world around us takes us for and is so sick of, then here in a moment we can all just pose during prayer, look nice and religious, and stiff-arm God if he gets too close. 
But if we are the people of God, and genuinely so, then we must regularly open ourselves up to him and invite him to say absolutely whatever is on his heart, whatever needs to be said, and we will respond accordingly. I want to encourage you, as so many of you did last week, to seek God at the altar today. Coming to the altar is not a sign that something is very wrong with you. It's a sign that something is getting very right with you. It's a symbol of seeking, and that's why we've continued to keep these altars here in our sanctuary, old-fashioned as they are. It's because they remind us to continue to be a people who seek God and seek his voice. And if many of us, most of us together, are people who continue to seek God, then this will be a church that hears his voice and partners with him on mission in our valley. We keep these altars here because we still intend to be a people who seek God and listen to his voice, the God who comes to us. Julie, can you come and play? Just something that we, that we sang earlier today. Lisa, I didn't cue you for this, but can you come just grab a microphone and... And uh, why don't we all stand and listen to these words and listen for the voice of God's Holy Spirit. And if he's saying something to you, if you, if you are ready to listen, should he speak? Then I invite you to come to this altar. Let's pray. Gracious God, do you have something to say today? Or did I just get dressed up and give a goofy little object lesson? Did you really intend to speak to us from Luke chapter 3 today? Or was I just following my preaching calendar? I want to know what you have to say today, and so I'm bowing my head and heart before you. I want to bow my knee as well.